Welcome to this podcast series on neo-charismatic leadership with author, leadership expert and coach, Dr. Gada Angawi and executive leader, Martin Headley, where they will both explore the recently published book, Neo-Charismatic Leadership and the coaching topics it covers. Welcome back, Gada, and to all our listeners, as we continue to discover how neo-charismatic leaders encourage collaboration, with this episode focusing on small groups and startups. But Gada, still in the New Year's frame of mind and thinking about all of those resolutions, with you, of course, being a neo-charismatic leader, aren't you still on track with all of your resolutions? I am really moving forward with uh, most of last year's. I guess, uh, you know, you always reevaluate and discover that some of your goals has not been practical or they needed really to be broken down into pieces. For this year, I've carried some of last year's goals with me, <laughs> but the, for the most part of it, I really want to focus on collaborating with my community, with my team and finding ways really to make things happen through collaboration. What about you? Excellent. Well, yes, I'm going to be challenging my young team to look at something completely different this year. And I'm just going to give them once again, a very broad outline, and they're going to have to collaborate with themselves and also talking with me, but they're going to have to design the program themselves and they're going to have to implement it. So uh, a really good challenge. And I uh, think they're looking forward to it. So that's really coincides with the uh, title of this episode or the topic. This time we bring you in the way uh, how a leader encourages collaboration using small business examples or social teams and online virtual collaboration. Our collaboration, me and you, Martin, is one example of this kind, isn't it? But the essence is what can individual do with collaboration to succeed and prosper? Yes, for this, most teams that the size that we're talking about are always in growth mode, just simply so they can survive. You know, once you start to create a team, it, it's got to grow to survive. So the level of cohesion among all the team members must be very high. Very few small organizations or companies can afford more than one person who does one thing. But in order to achieve the vision, Everybody has to contribute to different skills. And so with everybody contributing, as you see your progress towards the outcome, the different contributions and the fact that you can rely on others to contribute differently in a positive manner continues to build trust. So Gada, how do you develop interdependence among team members? If you remember last time, I mentioned uh, six team conditions and I mentioned that in order for uh, collaboration to happen or interdependence to happen, you have to fulfill the first condition, which is, is this a real team? Let's talk a little bit about the meaning of a team here. Why, why do we call it a team? And I like uh, so much to bring uh, sports into the conversation because people relate more to sports and they always know what's happening in the team. And how does the coach help the team? So they have a vivid visual of what it means to be a team in, in the sport context. But when it comes to business, many people lose that visual and depart from it and think that it's just going to happen by itself. But that's not true. Actually, the idea of coach is coming from sports because uh, a coach helps the team learn the skills, become collaborative, work together 
and overcome their mental barriers like motivation, inspiration, and, and, you know, working for a common purpose, because very much it's, it's about mental being in, in the team rather than just performing normal tasks. Our goal with the uh, six team conditions is to raise a performance, a team performance. So we really focus on, on teams to become high performing teams. And in order for that to happen, our scholars came up with three essential conditions that has to be fulfilled by a team and three enabling conditions that will enable the team to perform highly in order to be effective. So this is uh, in a nutshell uh, what I mean by six team conditions. But if we want to talk about interdependence and the idea of how to be to help a team become more collaborative, really we need to look at the first and most important condition, which is, is this a real team? Is it bounded, bounded by the team function? The question we ask is, do we actually need a team here or maybe it is sufficient for this function to have a group of people each working individually? The second one that indicates that this is a real team is the stability of the team. Because if you keep having people coming in and out of the team, inviting people from other teams to attend those meetings, the team become unstable. And I say this because it's important in group dynamics that we observe how the group is interacting with each other. And without the stability, we lose a part of that observation. The energy in the team becomes dispersed or unstable. And then the third one is what we spoke about last time, which is fulfilling the levels of collaboration. Not only sharing information, but consultation is higher. And then we have working on a common project together. That's what a real team does. And then we have, of course, if the team is allowed to, to do that, is the strategic direction or decisions, collaborating on, on having an input, at least in making these decisions. Now, this condition is complemented by having the right people in the team, which is condition number two. You don't want to replicate people. Everybody is coming from the same background, the same uh, skills, the same rank. You want people to have different views. You want diversity. And this when the team becomes creative and the input and the collaboration becomes high. And then the third one relates to the team purpose. It has to be a compelling purpose. A compelling purpose has to be clear, challenging to the team members and consequential. It has to have an implication. There is a result that they're going to achieve. So with these three basic conditions, essential conditions, a team can really start collaborating and working together. This builds trust again as the organization grows with one team and then multiple teams. Because each of the team members learn, you know, who can I rely on and who can I not? And teams tend to almost reject people that aren't going to meet the grade. And that's quite natural. And of course, change is truly constant when you're a small group. So this has to be reinforced every day. So if I can continue on your sport analogy for a moment, this is what I would call a full contact sport for the neo-charismatic leader. You can't just set the team going and expect it to run. You need to be watching for how they're working just as much as you need to be watching for what they're creating, what their outcome is. The two are so important. Once they have created and once they have moved on into a sort of an operational environment, you can hang back a little bit more. But while they are developing, you really do need to be in there with them. So, Garda, where do you see collaboration and trust 
working together from the research? So from a research perspective, I would like to go back again to the 16 conditions in order to instill trust between team members so that they can work together with comfort and ease. You can you have to create that kind of culture, trust culture. And the enabling conditions here play a very big role because condition number four is related to team structure. It relates to the team size. The size has to be right because if you have a very big, huge team, say over 15 people or 12 people even, you start getting many multiple relations happening between the members. And that is very difficult to observe and uh, coach. The tasks has to be meaningful tasks and make sense to them. They have to see the purpose. They have to see the wisdom behind each task and they have to be part of creating those tasks. And then there is uh, the communication norms or the norms of conduct uh, that enable trust to grow and be nurtured, especially when team coaching is available to support it. And a leader has to provide the right context for the team, which means the right resources, uh, learning, access to knowledge and information. It's the leader who provide these resources and, and negotiate them with the organization. If the team is small, then it becomes the leader's responsibility to make sure that they have everything at hand that they need. And then comes the coaching, which relates to the sport analogy. A coach does a job before the team goes into the field and does the job while the team on the field and does the job after the team accomplishes the game. So there is uh, different stages where a coach kicks in and 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 helps the team, interjects and maybe comment or ask a question or motivate the team. Organization think that a coach is uh, redundant. It's not a necessity. Let's just get them a trainer to give them a training course and then let them run with, with the skills. But that won't happen. Coaching on the job and mentoring on the job is important for a team. This is how you grow trust. It is through accomplishing the tasks while you coach the team on those tasks. Great, great. So for a small team, the people have to be divided to make sure all the work gets covered. And each has to be clear what they're producing and what others produce. But the overall outcome, of course, is enhanced by this, this high level of cohesion that facilitated by the near charismatic leader. The small team, of course, does all four of the team models we spoke about last time from Ruth Wegerman's work. You know, at all times, they are sharing information, they're consulting with each other, they're coordinating activities, and they come together to make decisions. So the neocharismatic leader of a small group needs to be evaluating how the team is functioning on all four levels all the time. If they're fine, then go and do something else. But if they're not, you cannot afford to ignore it. You have to get in and, you know, just, just like a coach, you have to go in there and develop this cohesiveness through collaborative activities. But something that has happened over this pandemic, Gada, is that a lot of teams have formed across the world and they've only formed about around common ideas because they formed on something like social media, for example. So these are people that didn't know each other at all, but they've sort of come together during this period where everybody's been locked down. And you know, what can we learn specifically from groups that form and grow simply around an issue, not in any organizational context? Mm -hmm. 
So I have been in and out uh, with some of these groups virtually. I have coached some and I have been part of some. And being a team coach, there is always uh, an observation of the group dynamics that's going on and and the comparison between in-person coaching to a team and virtual coaching to a team. And it is a little bit hard with virtual because you can only see their faces if people open the camera and sometimes they disappear to do something and come back. There's all these kind of interruptions and absence of the body language itself. Like, how do you sit? Are you crossing your legs? Are you fiddling with your fingers? You don't see that as a coach. And all you can see is this part, which, uh, which you're seeing now when we're speaking. The other thing is the context itself where a person is existing. Some people might not totally agree with this, but I believe that there is an energy contained in a group when they are sitting huddled together in one space. And that energy gets dispersed when they're uh, talking to each other uh, across uh, different platforms in different rooms, different locations around the world. It's a hard job for a team coach and also for a team leader. Equal to a team coach needs to learn group dynamics regardless if they are going to coach or not. They need to learn it, they need to observe it, and they need to notice what's happening between people in the team in terms of individuals together or subgroup that's diverting or sending cues to each other or laughing at a joke. These things are important for a leader because they know then issues that needs to be tackled, like you said. If they can't, they have to bring in a team coach because a team coach sits silently and can observe things that the leader cannot observe either because of lack of knowledge or because they are engaged in the conversation. I want to say that there is ways to make sure that the team is functioning virtually. It's not uh, something that can happen by itself or a smooth uh, ride, as we say. You know, from my experience over the last two years, it's actually very tough. You have to sort of motivate the team. You've got to keep them engaged so they, they don't you know, sit there crossing the legs and fiddling with with their fingers, as you say, that they are truly engaged with the with their conversation, and that's a whole new area, which I think we'll probably end up doing some research on, because you know what we've been through in the last two years is is unusual. But out of such situations, we can sometimes get great insight, and it's certainly looking back, it's not foresight anyway. So, in summary, Gada, would you say that collaboration is a method of making a vision? outcome or other situation theirs, that is that it's owned by the team and therefore much more effective because of it? We spoke about formulating a shared vision, and this is the ideal way of helping people uh, work through the vision by sharing it, by being part of it, by having a say in it. And of course, it is uh, the ideal, but that ideal cannot be something that we can generalize for every organization or for every team. Uh, If we have to impose a vision on a team, we have to make sure that this vision is aligned with their personal values. If it touches them personally, all of a sudden you get that fire within coming. People become motivated because part of motivation, a big part of it in different studies, in, in Harvard Business Review and many research publications, Motivation is not financial or material. Motivation is a uh, big part of it is belonging and big part of it is finding a meaning in the job. It relates to who you are as an individual. And the neo-charismatic leader is responsible for making this collaboration happen. So no pressure there at all. Okay. <laughs> well, we, we've covered some very 
tough and, and uh, complex issues, I think, in the last two episodes, which is great. Unfortunately, we're running short of time now, so we'll have to wrap this one up. But we look forward to uh, talking to you listeners again. And please don't forget to send in your questions to us through the website. Thank you. So until next time, goodbye. Goodbye. Garda and Martin, hope you enjoyed this episode. There is more information available at neocharismaticleadership.org. And if you would like to discuss coaching or training for yourself or your team, you can contact Garda and Martin through the website. We look forward to your participation next week. Until then, goodbye.